chapter six, Judges chapter six, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 13. And I want to teach a message this evening entitled the oak and the wine press, the oak and the wine press. Judges chapter six, verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah that pertained unto Joash, the Abezurite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. In the previous lesson, I told you that the children of Israel had created for themselves a cycle of sin and the need for salvation. For a season, they would do right so long as a judge or an elder was alive. But once that favorite party died, then the children of Israel would fall into sin. And I likened it to anybody who has someone in their family or in their life that's very important to them, and they serve God so long as that person is there or around. But if you lose your spouse, you lose your grandparent, you lose a favorite pastor, you lose a best friend, then you backslide. That's what the children of Israel did. But the Midianites came and oppressed them. And in the midst of all of this, they cried out to God, as it says at the end of verse six. And I'm glad they didn't cry out to the other gods. They had sense enough to cry out to theirs. And God answered their prayer in two ways. One, he sent a prophet. And then secondly, he sent an angel. So the prophet who comes on the scene, he does not come with any kind of acquiescence toward their emotions or their physical condition of poverty, he comes with the word of God. He's not going to change what he believes God has said to him, regardless of the presence of the Israelites that are there. He said to these people, you have not obeyed God. That's a bitter pill to swallow. Because when you're having struggles in your life and you're dealing with some of the worst giants and problems of your life, the one thing you don't want people to say to you is you're being disobedient. That's what the prophet said. And sometimes that's what we need to hear. From God's perspective, we're not near as perfect as we think we are. But when he turns the searchlight on, then we begin to look inwardly and find out that we have failures, flaws, that can only be dealt with by the blood of Jesus. First Corinthians 14, three tells us that prophecy does three things. The gift of prophecy, it brings edification, exhortation and comfort. But even though it brings those three things, that's not all it brings. It also brings that searchlight that causes you to look inwardly. And the children of Israel did so. But after the prophet disappeared, you can see in verse 11, this is where the angel of the Lord came. Now, an angel is a messenger of God sent by God. Hebrews chapter one, verse 14 says of angels to which of these angels did I ever say, sit down at my right hand? Not a one of them, but he says, are they not sent forth? 
as ministering spirits on behalf of those who are heirs of salvation? That's a question. If we start in Genesis, you'll find that angels make their appearance. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll see angels everywhere. But in Genesis, Abraham had gone to the top of a hill with his son and was about to take a knife and plunge it into Isaac's chest. And in Genesis, it tells us two times the angel of the Lord cried out to him. Let's not forget Ishmael's mother, Hagar. She was running from Sarah, but hiding in the wilderness. And she was by a fountain of water. And there the angel of the Lord found her and said, you're going to have a son. His name is to be Ishmael and God's going to make him a great people. The angel came to the wilderness. The angel came to the mountain. Moses, of course, was out there with the sheep. And then one day he looked and there's a bush that's on fire. He goes to the bush and the angel of God spoke to him out of the bush on the backside of a mountain. And then the Bible says in Exodus chapter 14 that when Israel was delivered from Egypt, the Lord brought them a certain way through the Red Sea. And when they got on the other side, the Egyptians tried to follow, but they were on this side. Israel is here. And the angel of the Lord came and positioned himself between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And for the Egyptians, it was darkness on their side. But for the Israelites, that angel provided illumination. Seems to me like the angels of God seem to know where to be. At all times. And let's not forget that Joseph was willing to get rid of Mary because she was unfaithful in his mind. But the angel of the Lord came to him in a dream. In a dream? While he's asleep? I I thought God had to come to you in all of these physical locations. He can come to you wherever he wants to come to you. He came to Joseph in a dream. When Jesus was getting ready for the cross, he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. The angel of the Lord came and strengthened him. When he was raised from the dead, the angels of the Lord were there. When he ascended to heaven, the angels remained behind to speak to the disciples. And when Herod started receiving the praises of people in Acts chapter 12, they listened to his speech and they said, it's the voice of a God. And he received that glory and praise. The angel of the Lord smote him and he died. In every instance, the angel of the Lord came because of the command of God. And the angel knew exactly where he needed to be. Now, this is an interesting point then. If God's angels are messengers, then who is it that tells them where to go? You read the Bible because you hear people today and there are a lot of folks that travel around. They say things like, well, you know, I just release my angel to go and to do this and I'll send my angel to do this. But you've got to understand if, if you have an angel that is at home in your closet and he's tied up there and he needs to be released by the words from your mouth. And then you need to tell them where to go and you need to tell them what to say and uh, what to do when he gets there. Then you have a very weak angel and you need to get you one of these that's in the Bible. 
Because the, the figment of many people's imagination is that they're having conversations with angels as though angels are servants to human beings. They're not. There's not one episode in the Bible where an angel is under the command of a human person. There are places where a human asks an angel to do something. As in this case, later on in the story, Gideon says, please don't leave until I've come to bring an offering to God. But you've got to understand angels know exactly what their business is and God has them under his control and power. The Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps about those that fear him. When you got on the road and came here tonight and when you lay down in the bed, I can promise you God has supernatural beings that are at work on your behalf. You don't need to see them. You don't need to know what they're doing. You just need to put your trust in God. That's it. That's it. Don't spend your time trying to converse with who you believe is Gabriel or Michael. Look at verse 11. There came an angel. Now notice when the angel came into this territory, he was not intimidated by the oppressive environment. He came at the command of God and he knew exactly where to go. To the oak and to the wine press. What is an oak tree? Hard wood. Something sturdy, strong, enduring. What's a wine press? A two-tiered entity used to produce juice. Someone gets up top in that, <clears throat> that wine press and they tramp out the grapes Barefooted people up there stomping on the grapes and then there's a little hole up top and then down through a little channel or canal that flows into a big vat. And that juice is collected and then used for whatever they're going to use it for. Now, me personally, if if I'm somewhere and I'm overseas and I see barefooted people stomping out grapes. If I look up and I see Zach and Cameron with their pants rolled up and they're stomping out grapes, I don't care how much they clean that grape juice, pastor's not drinking it. But this was the ancient way. And this was the way that, that they did it. And you'll notice in verse 11, the angel knew exactly where to go because he knew where Gideon was. Why was Gideon there? He was threshing wheat by the wine press. He was in fear, trying to hide it. And God came right to where the man was who was afraid. Isn't that just like God? To know your address? To see you in the midst of your circumstances? And to send a word to you in the midst of your pain and in the midst of your problems, God knows exactly where you are. He can locate you. And sometimes you'll wonder, how in the world did God know I was right here? Hagar was in the middle of a wilderness. Moses was on the backside of a desert. Paul was on the road going to Damascus. David was listening to God move through the mulberry trees. God comes to you in some of the most unusual places to take an ordinary person to help them do extraordinary things. By the wine press, Gideon, he's threshing wheat 
and he's trying not to be seen because that wheat is the increase for the community. It's with that wheat they're going to produce flowers. With that wheat, they're going to produce bread. That's what's going to keep them from starving to death. But that angel come and sits, observes, and watches a man in fear. Sometimes we think that in order for God to talk to us or for God to move, the conditions have to be absolutely perfect. And if you don't have faith and you're not in faith, God's not going to talk to you. You better read this story again. This man is trying to hide his harvest and he doesn't want the Midianites to gobble it up. And he doesn't even know there's an angel nearby that's watching him. I wonder how many times in your life has God been right there near you and you didn't know he was there? I wonder how many times have you survived an accident or went through an accident? How many times you walked through a valley or some kind of crucible of life that was very difficult without even knowing that God was just a few feet away from you, watching you, observing you? Well, verse 12 says the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. That is to say, the angel of the Lord made himself visible so that now Gideon could see him. The angel had been there. He had been watching. But now he has manifested himself. And notice what he says to Gideon, this man who's hiding, this man who's in fear. He says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon did like this. The Lord's with who? The angel said, the Lord's with you, you mighty man of valor. Well, as of right now, Gideon hadn't done anything that's mighty. He hadn't shown any valor. He's afraid. He's scared. But the one thing about God is when he has plans and purposes and then he superimposes those plans and purposes upon your life, he then is able to see in you things you cannot see in yourself. That's God. That's God. The Lord is with you. Now, of course, if God is with you, then you and he make a majority. So there's not enough Midianites that can stop. You don't have enough people on your job that are a problem for you when you've got God on your side. And you can come up against any adversary, and though they may hinder you and try to slow you down, I can promise you God's big enough to move out of the way anybody who's causing you trouble because you belong to him. And the Bible says vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to you, not to me. The Lord is with you. Isn't that a comforting thought to know he's with you? I mean, if if I'm by myself, that's different. But if I've got power on my side, that's something better. I think I've told you before about how when I was just a little kid, if, if I was going down the street and some of my older brother's friends were giving me a hard time, if I had to go pick up some milk or something for mom, sometimes I'd give them a hard time back. And, you know, sometimes they get a little rough with me. To the point where I didn't want to go down to a certain corner because I didn't know what them big guys were going to do to me. But yet, if I was down there at the store and I'm coming back and I see them out on the corner and I know they're going to roust me and give me a hard time. If I look up and I see my brother Anthony coming down the road, you better believe my walk changes. 
I start strolling because because I know I've got somebody on my side who can handle all of them. The Lord is with you. If you know greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Why are you going to be afraid of somebody just because they're cussing at you or yelling at you and they're saying, I'm going to get you back? Well, you do your best because you're going to have to contend with God. And if you're in the right, then God's definitely going to look out for you. So the angel says to Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. Verse 13 shows us that Gideon did not believe what the angel said. And he didn't hold that position or perspective of himself. Listen to how he responded. Oh, my Lord. If the Lord be with us. Why has all of this befallen us? Now, the question here, to put it in a modern paraphrase, is if God's with us, why are we in all this trouble? Why is our economy so bad? Why am I barely able to take care of my family if God is with me? Why do I have sickness in my body, in my home? Why am I struggling like I'm struggling? Why did I just get laid off? See, that whole thing. And what 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 Gideon is doing is he's demonstrating that he believes problems are a result of the lack of God's presence. But I'm trying to get you to see just because you have trouble, that doesn't mean God isn't present. You have trouble, that means the devil is busy, but it doesn't mean that God isn't present because Gideon did not know how long the angel had been there. Listen to the angel's words again in verse 12. The Lord is with you. Listen to Gideon's statement in verse 13. But now the Lord hath forsaken us. So Gideon is saying God has abandoned us in the plural. The angel is saying the Lord is with you in the singular and they cannot get together and reconcile their views. Because the angel is saying, look, Gideon, if you honestly believe God has forsaken you, then why do you think I'm here? Why do you think I'm here? And sometimes in your darkest moments when you prayed and asked God to bless you one way or another, then God sends somebody into your life to be a blessing to you. And then you still complain as if God hadn't blessed you. And the person that's there in your life is there to bless you. And you don't acknowledge The blessing that comes from God. How many people get a supernatural visitor like this? And then look the angel in the face and say, God has abandoned us. That's what he said. But his other question was, where are all the miracles our fathers told us of? So he's familiar with wondrous works and demonstrations of power. He obviously knows the history of Israel from Abraham all the way up to the present day. I'm sure he knew the stories of Adam coming all the way up to the time of Abraham. But his question is, why isn't God doing this stuff now? Now, what I want you to understand is God hadn't changed. Because if you go back and look at chapters one, two, three, four, and five, you'll find that God was doing miraculous things in those previous years. But our tendency is to believe that if we don't see God moving 
with our natural eye, then God isn't moving. No, that just means God's not moving where you are. But it doesn't mean that God's not moving at all. The earth has more than 200 countries in it, more than 7,000 different languages, more than 8 billion people, they say, are on this planet. God only knows how many millions of villages there are on planet earth. I'm talking about from Antarctic to the Arctic Circle, just hundreds of thousands of people that are here. And I can promise you, God's doing a whole lot of stuff you don't know about. And just like we're here tonight, there are people that are in bed somewhere on this planet and in their dreams, God's talking to them. In a prayer meeting somewhere, God's speaking to somebody's heart. Somebody's reading the book. And as they're reading the book, they're hearing the voice of God that says, I want you to go into all the world or I want you to pick up the mantle and begin to preach the gospel. Or I want you to go down into the rubbish area where the people live in the garbage dump. And I want you to minister to them. Somebody else is reading a verse that's telling them, I want you to feed the poor. See, understand your ministry is bigger than just what you can see. That's Gideon's problem. Gideon can't see beyond his nose. And, and, and his problem is fear and fret and worry and anxiety. And he doesn't think that God can invade the area where the Midianites are because he's seen so much Midianite oppression. He believes the Midianites are stronger than God. And God has to work to turn our thinking in order to curb our behavior. Yeah. You can be around a lot of bad people, but I'm telling you, those bad people aren't bigger than God. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of stories that Gideon heard, but I am glad he at least heard them. See, if it says, where be the miracles which our fathers told us of, that means the fathers remember the stories their fathers told them and the fathers passed those stories down. And, you know, when I'm talking to people, one of the things I love to do is ask people to share with me testimonies. I do. I like to hear stories of how somebody was saved. I like to hear the occasional story of how God kept somebody from making a bad decision. Of how God supplied their need when they lacked something. Of how God may have healed them. You say, why do you want stories like that? Because I hear those stories and then in my travels, you know what I do? I tell those stories. Some of the testimonies I've learned through the years of being in Nebraska, I've told those stories around the world of how some of you were saved, how some of you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, how some of you had God do a special supply in your life. And in telling those stories, other people hear and then they realize, oh, my goodness, there is somebody walking a path similar to mine. And if God could save him. then God can reach me and you should be the kind of person that's interested in those stories. Every one of you parents, your kids should know how you were saved. They should know the story. They should be able to tell it. Your people, your relations, your family, your closest friends should know some things about what God has done in your life. 
I share testimonies all the time. I, I've never worried about whether or not I share too many or don't share enough. I just share whatever I think is going to fit with what I'm teaching because I don't ever want this book to just be black ink spots on the page. And all it is is a history book. We need to know God doesn't live in the book. He lives in our hearts. And he's at work. He's creating circumstances even when we don't know that's what he's doing. And sometimes I've had people say to me, well, pastor, it's been a long time since you shared that testimony of so-and-so. And then when I share the testimony, then they'll come up to me afterwards. But you left out this part. Because they've heard it enough. Enough times to remember the whole story. Gideon said, our fathers have told us about what God has done I just can't seem to find this God right now. My family's on fire. My pockets are empty. My community's falling apart. And yet, here you are saying that the, that the Lord is with me and I'm a mighty man of valor. And here I'm back here hiding this wheat from the harvest. There's nothing mighty about me at all. That's because you don't see what God can do with you. You don't see what God can do through you. And wherever you work in, whatever you do, whenever you go to that job, you have to remember God is inside of you. And your life is to be a light in a candle. If you're at home raising them kids, you're there to raise up godly seed. And God is with you in that house, even if you don't think he's there with you. And you're saying, where are all the miracles? I'm telling you, he's still a miracle God. You raise up a godly garden by planting that seed in people. And Gideon will learn over time that what the angel was saying is true. But if you look back over your life, I mean, what are some of the things you've heard? Who are some of the people that have poured into your life? Some aged Christian, Christian men and women. Mothers and fathers of the church, spiritual people that have did their best to sow into you. Did you have an ear to hear what they were saying to you? Did you take the time to listen to them when they were talking to you? Because one day the remembrances that they tried to give to you may make a lot more sense when you get further along down the road. You've heard people say how that when they were teenagers, they thought, their parents were just behind the times, leave it to beaver people. They didn't know anything at all. But then you get a little bit older and then you start thinking, well, you know, mom and dad, they, they really did know a few few things. And then by the time you're older, got kids and got grandkids and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, mom and dad were geniuses. Because time has a way of helping you look at the past in a different manner that you're looking at it now. Because as a believer, you begin to look at your past and see it as being controlled by God. But if you think everything's happening because of chance and fortune and luck, then you're never going to understand anything about what this angel is trying to say to Gideon. This angel sees something in Gideon. Gideon doesn't see in himself. What have you heard? What have you learned? What have you gained and gathered and gleaned from people that have poured into you? That's what's made you what you are right now. Your ability to hear. It's important. 30 years ago, I used to preach a lot in England. 
and I preached for the Elam Foursquare churches and for the British Assemblies of God churches there. And of course, at that time, I would have in those meetings people who were in their 70s or 80s. And uh, these were people who were alive back in the 40s and 50s and would tell me stories that they remembered of Smith Wigglesworth, George Jeffries. Well, George Jeffries and his brother Stephen Jeffries, they may possibly be the greatest evangelists that England had in the last 100 years. Thousands of people came to Christ through their preaching. Wonderful miracles took place. They prayed for the sick. Smith Wigglesworth, I don't know how many people he prayed for that they said were raised from the dead. But I can tell you one thing. When I was over there as a little boy in my 20s and I was in these services and they would start up talking, telling me these stories, I'd listen. I'd listen because my eyes hadn't seen these people. And I didn't know these folks, but I knew the God they knew. Well, when my pastor and, and others would start telling me stories about A.A. A. Allen, who was a popular preacher in the 40s and 50s and 60s, traveling in a tent. My pastor, Joe Frano, would pull me into his office and tell me about how Allen would have his tent up on the grounds. And uh, my pastor would teach the morning faith clinic teaching people how to believe God to be healed. He'd talk about the people that would come on the ground when the, between the services. And since Alan and his family always had their camper right there near the tent, that meant that people would just drive for hours from other states and come there. They'd just go right up to the camper and want prayer. Hardly ever got any rest. But Brother Frano would talk about how they would pray for people and See the demon possessed, cast out, blind people healed. I listen to them stories. And even now, all the old cassette tapes I have of my old pastor from time to time, I wax nostalgic and I want to put some in just to listen and hear that voice again. Just oh, how nice it would be just to hug his neck one more time or to make a phone call and talk to him. Yeah, things our fathers have told us. I preached in California one time back in the 90s, and there was a lady under that tent. She was in her 90s. She told me that her father was a traveling preacher with Charles Parham. Now, some of you may know that name. Charles Parham had the school in Topeka, Kansas back in 1901 when all the students were there reading the scripture, trying to learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it happened to them all that night in that school that they were in. But he went on and traveled and preached. But this lady is telling me my dad traveled with Charles Parham and was part of his team. And I'll never forget after one of those services, she came to me with an old black and white photo that showed her dad, her mom, the whole team standing around Charles Parham. I thought, oh, my goodness. And we had just come to Nebraska and that little lady in her 90s, I think for two or three years, she sent us a check every month for twenty five dollars to support our ministry out here. Twenty five dollars. 
little old lady that believed in what we were preaching and telling folks about God? Who are some of the people that have poured into your life and shared stories with you? Ministers that have meant a lot to you. Brethren in the body of Christ who may not be ministers, but yet mothers and fathers in the faith who have told you you can trust God and believe. Those are the kind of people you should stand with and allow them to stand with you. Here in Nebraska, I've met a whole lot of people here who've been in older meetings. Or Roberts came in this region. Our, our vineyard came in this region. I've got people that have come to the Hayes Church that remember when Jack Cole put up his tent in Hutchinson, Kansas. 20,000 people. They say multitudes of people were touched by God. Yeah. I think it's important, folks, to, to remember what God has done for us. When Billy Graham came to Cleveland, Ohio back in 1994 or 95, I was right there at the Assemblies of God Church with all the other helpers learning how to be a worker for that crusade down in that, that stadium where he had it. 90,000 people. Folks, you've got to think about the folks that have poured into your life. Otherwise, you'll end up like Gideon and you won't believe anything. Yeah. But since the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that angel's not going to stop talking to Gideon until Gideon gets it. Until Gideon believes it. And as long as you're saying you don't believe, God's going to keep talking to you. You can try to run from the call of God on your life. God will keep talking to you. You can try to flee and go in the opposite direction. God will keep talking to you until he can build up enough faith in you. that You can take those steps where you need to in the direction he's trying to take you. Yeah, very important. Very important to know God and to walk with him. Amen. Don't be intimidated by Midianites, folks. Don't be discouraged by what you see. Be encouraged by the fact that the Lord is with you. I do think there's a verse in the Bible that says something like this. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the world. Oh, my. You know what that means? That means there's nothing you can do taking my God away from me. Nothing you can do. You can't pry me out of his hands. And you can't pry him out of my heart. Let's stand. Now, somewhere this week, you're going to have an opportunity to talk to a Gideon. And you're going to have to be the messenger. They don't need to be looking for an angel. They need to be looking to you. You're going to have to open up your mouth and be the Gideon to let to let somebody let somebody know that uh, God is with them. Even if they don't think God is with them, because as I said, when people are afraid. They just don't think God cares. And when everything is falling apart around them. They just wonder if the king's going to come at all. But that's what that oak and that wine press is all about. God comes to you in the most unusual places. If he's got to come talk to you on a bus, he'll do that. If he's got to come visit Tina at Region 5, he'll do that. If he's got to come in your bedroom and get into your dreams like he did with Joseph, he will do that. But however he does it, just receive from God. Receive from God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you've led 
and guided so many of these folks in the scripture. And Lord, when we've been fearful and you've been trying to talk to us, we thank you that you've been so gracious because we, we know we, we sometimes we fight with what you're telling us to do and what you want us to do. But the one thing we do know is that your mercies are new every morning. Help us to do extraordinary things in this region in which we live. And Father, help us to continue to give you the glory, knowing that in this frail, flawed body, your strength is made perfect. We're going to continue to praise you and love you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.